0: back to Author Conversations, presented by Arcadia Publishing and The History Press. I'm Johnny Foster. Today, I have a conversation with Michael Gabriel. Michael has written three books, which are already published with us, Golden Age of Bicycle Racing in New Jersey, History of Diners in New Jersey, New Jersey Folk Revival Music, and his fourth book, Stories from New Jersey Diners, will publish September 23rd, 2019. Michael is a lifelong resident of New Jersey and a graduate from Montclair State University. For the last four decades, he has been a journalist, freelance writer, and author. Michael, welcome to Author Conversations.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: And Michael, I've already done an introduction uh, for you, and I've talked about your three books and your fourth book you have coming out, and two of the four books you have written with Arcadia and the History Press have been on diners, but you've also written about bicycle racing in New Jersey and folk music in New Jersey. How did you get interested in these varied topics
1: well, um the, the the bicycle book was actually the first book I pitched to History Press and uh and uh, they they liked the idea. So uh that came about because um back in the 1980s I was the editor of the Nutley Sun, my hometown newspaper, and um I had been for several years collecting information about uh professional bicycle racing in New Jersey. Believe it or not, New Jersey was uh, the world center for pro, pro bike racing in the velodrome era from like the 1890s to 1940. That was when, that was when bicycle racing was a spectator sport. Yes, it's true. Wow. And, uh, and the best riders from Europe, Australia, New Zealand, South America would all come to race at the Newark velodrome. So, um, there was also a Nutley velodrome as well. And I, um, I found out about this through, uh, just through my, just through my, uh, the people I knew in town. And, um, one thing led to another. I started. Uh, I started talking to all these these uh, these old timer uh, bike racers who were who were part of that era back then and still kicking in the 1980s. They're, they're all in good shape for riding bikes. And uh, I had just I had collected a lot of information and did a couple of magazine articles and a couple of newspaper articles. And I had all this I had all this material. I said I just thought to myself, Jay, it'd be nice if I did something with this maybe you know maybe even a little book i don't know who would be interested in it well i came across the history press uh, sent them an email and uh pitched the idea and they said yes so that was uh, was quite uh, quite a surprise so that was the, that was the first book i think that one came out in 2011 and that one did well and so my my friends at the history press um they encouraged me to they said, "Why don't Why don't you do a second book?" I said, "Okay." And we we came up with this idea of New Jersey Diners because we're all about hyper local history, and New Jersey is the diner capital of the world, et cetera, et cetera. And that was the second book. So that one did really well, and that's that sort of that's what kind of put me on the uh, on the map. And so then the the third book, they said, "Well, you know, so you're two for two. <laughs> you know, is whatever you want to do is fine with us." So I I had this. Uh, I had this idea for um, kind of an unexpected idea, folk music in New Jersey. I mean, everybody knows Bruce Springsteen and Bon Jovi, and some people know uh, about the uh, Motown singers like Dionne Warwick who came out of New Jersey. But uh, people, even people in New Jersey are surprised to learn that uh, folk music is widespread and very popular and kind of flies under the radar screen. And the more due diligence I did, the more I realized that New Jersey was really... Uh, really at the start of the folk revival music scene so um and when did that start that, book, that started the, according you know if you if you follow my logic and you, and you and you read my book and and look at the research i did folk music is traditional music that comes down from the hills that people it's so old that people don't even remember who um, who wrote the songs but now folk revival is the uh, is sort of the evolution and extension of that and I think you can make a pretty good case that the Folk Revival, which includes people like Bob Dylan, Joan Baez, Woody Guthrie, the Folk Revival started in New Jersey in 1915. There was a, um, there was a uh, British folklorist who came to the United States, collected folk tunes from down in Appalachia in, uh, in North Carolina, and he, and by his research, proved that these songs were the same songs that people sang in Scotland and England and Ireland and Wales. And he traced them. And then he, he documented them, wrote a book, and transposed them. And he said, well, I've got I've to record these songs. Well, where else in 1915 could you record music like that? But in Camden, New Jersey, of course, where the Victor Recording Studios were. So, so the first sound, that really, that effort, what, what he did, his name was Cecil Sharp. That really, what he did was that was really the start of the folk revival because there you're taking folk songs and and examining them and 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 uh, uh, reappreciating them and, and and rediscovering them. So that started the revival. People started uh, taking more interest in the uh, in musicianship. People started having uh, folk music uh, uh, festivals, and uh, and then you came up to uh, the. Singer-songwriter era, 1940, with Woody Guthrie, and where did Woody Guthrie re- record his first album? Not Texas, not Oklahoma, Camden, New Jersey. Huh. <laughs> well, that's a uh, that's a brief uh, a brief synopsis of that. I could go on, but uh, but uh, we, we probably don't want to pick up all the time with that. So yes, uh, folk folk revival and folk music in New Jersey, big 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 big, big stuff.
0: Oh yeah, that you've said that. About you know, go uh, Guthrie, not Oklahoma, not Texas, in New Jersey, and that really helps drive home a point that I've been trying to make: that local history is national history. No, local history it can be international history now. Um, Absolutely, it's the building Absolutely. block.
1: Absolutely.
0: I want to uh, go back a little bit to the bicycle book. Uh okay. What brought about the end of the golden era of bicycle racing?
1: Well. The, uh, the the bike game the professional bike game it really it really declined significantly right around the year 1930 and that's only because well uh, people they i guess the, the sport really wasn't producing any new stars we we had a we had a couple of really popular cycling champions like uh, like frank kramer and alf Goulette. and they, they they lived here in new jersey and frank kramer was a world champion and, and rode his bike at the newark velodrome and once those guys retired, and the, the the bike game, it just never came up. It, it just never kept pace with the with popular culture, and it, 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 they didn't keep producing new stars. So uh, so the New York track expired, and then somebody had the idea of reviving the sport three years later, and then the Nutley track came along, and that did okay for a couple of years. But again, attendance started sagging, and no interest, and uh, there was there just weren't it just wasn't, wasn't the big competition. The the bike riding field had, had really thinned out. So that's, uh, that was really the start of that. So, uh, the the Nutley track lasted until 1940. World War II comes along by 1945. Professional bicycle racing and, and the velodrome era was like a, it was like a long forgotten memory. So, uh, and, uh, people, a lot of people don't realize it and don't remember it, but, uh, but yeah, you're talking about the sport of cycling. Well, it's uh, New Jersey. I mean, it's now it's it's growing again. It's become, it's a global sport, more popular than ever. And
0: uh, yeah, a lot of that, uh, a lot
1: of those early days took place in New Jersey.
0: That is really interesting to know. So I also want to talk a little bit more about folk music because I don't think, you know, I know we have the folk music revival, but its basis in America and in New Jersey goes back before the American Revolution, it goes back to colonial times, too. Do you, is it there, does. Yeah. Is there a it does. common thread between them? Where is they, you know I don't know a lot about, I mean, I know folk music tunes, but I don't know about you know, writing it. I don't know what makes a folk uh, song. Do the modern folk writers write the songs or have the same style of songs the same way as the original folk songs were written?
1: the the folk revival i think takes the spirit and the structure and um and a lot of the uh, the lyricism from from traditional folk songs as i mentioned a traditional folk song it's a song it's been around so long that people there there's it's 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 listed as tradition you can quote it and there's no there's no copyright to it because it goes back hundreds and hundreds of years and maybe it's changed over the decades maybe it has a different title maybe some verses have been added maybe some taken away but uh the the traditional folk songs really were they, that was that was the poetry of of people and 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 for a long time it was sort of disregarded that well you know these are peasant songs it wasn't it wasn't considered high music it wasn't opera it wasn't uh it wasn't symphony music it was music that people sang in the streets and sang in their in their on their front porches and uh and they just the, the music. One one distinctive factor is it's music that that's been handed down via oral tradition. That's that's one one way to describe it. Although some people did actually collect these songs in, in various periods. It's music that, in many ways, has a, um, a utilitarian purpose. In other words, people would sing songs. The sailors would sing songs on the tall ships when they're hoisting the mast, and the weavers would sing songs in their in their weaving studios, when they'd be when they'd be spending all day weaving blankets and rugs, that make the make make the work go by a little easier. Um, this man Cecil Sharp and some other folklorists in in England back in the late 1800s, they to they examine this and they realized that these songs were really, this is this is the, the this, I, it's the poetry of the people. This 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 year's this is this is cultural anthropology it's it's the songs of a, of a given region or ethnicity there are folk songs in France there's folk songs in Africa there's folk songs in South America it really represents the people just as much as clothing food architecture language literature does so these are these are songs these are poems that uh, that really spoke to uh, people in their in their everyday lives and uh, you know ordinary people everyday lives well People aren't ordinary, whoever they are, mm-hmm. and uh, every day is, uh, every day is, uh, is, is quite a uh, profound experience. So, uh, so when, when Cecil, Cecil Sharp came along and, and rediscovered these songs, or revived them, that was the start of the folk revival. And then people, there was a market for it. The record companies and the sheet music people, that pr- you know, music companies that printed sheet music, realized that people in the United States were very interested in this music. They liked the fact that it was very authentic. They liked the fact that they could sing it with their friends in the parlor or on their, on their, on their porches on a Saturday night. And it became very popular. And then people started thinking, well, these are, these are nice songs. And, the you know, it's kind of a four chord progression. Hey, I could write a song and I could talk about, you know, what I'm doing nowadays. And I could talk about my family. And I could talk about my town and the, and the people who live here um there was a very very uh important uh recording session down in bristol tennessee a man who by the way lived in east orange new jersey his name was ralph pierre he was an a and r man an artist and repertory man from uh, the victor studios he went down and did field recordings and they wanted him to come back with um people musicians that that were really superior that that they could record and sell their, their records well he came back with the Carter family. Wow! The third world will be unbroken. That those people uh, Peep on the sunny side. the, the trio, of the Carter family, and he also came back with Jimmy Rogers, who is is basically credited as the father of country music. Now, Jimmy Rogers didn't consider himself a folk musician, but people who were listening to Jimmy Rogers, the way he sang and the, his uh, his his delivery, and he had a almost like a, a conversational way of saying, well. People like Pete Seeger, Woody Guthrie, and Bob Dylan picked up on that. They they learned from them. And when when um, Woody Guthrie came east, landed in New York City in 1940, there were a lot of Woody Guthries floating around the country, at least a few anyway. And these are people from you know, they were traveling around California and cal- traveling around in the Dust Bowl and and talking about their lives and what was going on. He came to New York City, did a uh, was part of a benefit concert. Uh, Alan Lomax was part of that concert. Spotted Woody was very impressed. Here was he said, "This is an uh, this is an authentic American balladeer, not a folk singer. A balladeer. He's Woody is a guy who sings about the uh, sings about the the American prairie and sings about the dust bowl. Well, the people at Vic, the the Victor the RCA at that time, the RCA Victor recording studios from Camden approached um, Alan Lomax, who, who him. He himself was a very famous folklorist. They said, "Alan, we want to. There's a market for this music. We really want to. We really want to record somebody that you think is is can really can really sell records." He said, "I got just the just the guy for you. He just arrived in New York City. His name is Woody Guthrie." All right. Well, Woody took the train down and in May 1940 recorded his uh, his anthology album, uh, Dust Bowl Ballads, and It was kind of a thematic album. Uh, didn't do well with the with the um, with the critics, but people loved it. And that and every, every, probably every folk, every famous folk singer you can think of from the 20th century probably has a copy of Dust Bowl Ballads. So that's, that's really how the, the revival grew. And uh, other people came along like, uh, like uh, Pete Seeger and like Bob Dylan and like Joan Baez. And uh, their travels took them in and out of New Jersey. Joan Baez in 1962, Sold out the uh, Newark Symphony Hall, which was known as the Moss Theater back then. So now think about that: Joan Baez, Newark, New Jersey. Symphony Hall sellout. People were something's going on there. People were listening. People were hearing that sound. People liked what they heard. These were fans, yes, in New Jersey. So uh, uh, she and Bob Dylan uh, they performed at the uh, at the Camden Music Festival in, 19- in August 1963. Right. Keep in mind, August, 1963, Mm -hmm. they also performed at at uh, Convention Hall, in Asbury Park about a week later. And what else happened in August, 1963? Well, I guess they went down to Washington. Maybe they took the train and they performed on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial on the the March on Washington. So that's uh, so New Jersey was the warm up act for them.
0: (laughs) Wow. Again, (laughs) local history, national history.
1: Yeah. 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 And of course, we have the Pine Barrens here in New Jersey. Oh all yes, all throughout the 1600s and 1700s, pine, Bar- pine. barrens are like the sacred ground here in, in our state, and uh, you had a lot of uh, a lot of folklore and folk music come out of the pine barrens during those years, and a legendary fiddle player by the name of uh, um, uh, what's his name now? Oh, geez, I can't forget him. Um, anyway, he was a uh, he was a fiddle player and, and traveled walked walked around by foot and would perform at. Um, in taverns down in the pine barrens in the mid 1800s sammy giberson was his name and of course dancing was a big thing back in those days if you you needed to have dancing as a social skill if you wanted a girlfriend or a boyfriend or you wanted to meet people you would go to the, go to the taverns on friday and saturday night and dance and and do these you know country dances and sammy Gyverson would be playing his uh, his fiddle so uh, again that's another part of the the folk music scene back in new jersey so so, yeah, we, uh, we're, we're on a par. We're uh, New Jersey's got, uh, got a folk revival story to tell. And uh, I tried to tell it in my book. Well, I think
0: you did a great job with it. And another co- cool thing is that the folk songs that people written uh, wrote back in the time period, it was also a way of telling news about something that happened, especially for those who could not write, but they could play a musical instrument and tell a story with their music.
1: It was yes. A lot of, in fact, a lot of those songs, they started out I think as a cappella, no music, but just vocal singing. And yes, they told they told stories of the town. It was like it was like news that was being carried back then. It was also some uh, some kind of heartbreaking stories too. A lot of these songs must have been, a lot of these poems and songs must have been written by women, because the if you they've 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 uh, documented some of these these folk songs and it's stories about how you know, women the, the drudgery of their life and how they were mistreated by men and their husbands and uh, and how they were forced to travel here and there so uh, yeah it, it really it's it's the it's the it's the poetry of of working people I guess is that's if that's a good way to describe yeah. it this is a this is grassroots music this is music of the people yes and it's it's windows into their life
0: back then but also with the revival of folk music uh, just think about those folk music that came from the 1960s. You now have a record of the way people were thinking and feeling about issues that were happening in that time.
1: Same thing. Same thing. They, they were, these were songs about, uh, about the scene in Greenwich Village or songs about, uh, up in, uh, up in Cambridge, Massachusetts, where Joan Baez came from. Uh, they were songs about politics. Yes. And sometimes very controversial politics songs about, uh, the environment, um, Songs about what people were doing, where they were, where they were hanging out and uh, what their experiences were. It's it's, again, it's the it's the music of the people. It's the it's the everyday songs that if you if you if you read between the lines, it's uh, there's some profound stuff in there that uh, people are really describing what's going on in that particular time period, almost like a time capsule.
0: And you know where you might hear this music at in diners in New Jersey? in the little jukeboxes <laughs> see what i did there see you that segue would.
1: <laughs> you would that, that's very good i like this very 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 smooth very nice yeah i'm learning yeah. i'm learning so yeah. what is it about- well, here's a, now here's a here's an interesting you talk about segues now in the in the colonial period people went to taverns taverns along the, the old post roads and the old king's highways here, here in new jersey uh new jersey is the crossroads of everything the revolutionary war people would travel from Philadelphia to New York and you had to go through New Jersey. So there were many, many taverns back in those days. And like today's diners, the tavern would be a place where people would gather and come to eat and talk and drink and gossip and tell about their, their, their long distance journeys. Well, taverns kind of fill the same niche as the diners do in the, in the 20th and 21st century. So, uh, New Jersey, uh, people might, might not realize it, but, uh, we know how to do hospitality around here we <laughs> we know how to receive visitors from far away so uh, believe it or not so,
0: oh yeah i've been so, up yeah, there another segue <laughs> you guys have uh some beautiful country
1: uh in new jersey as well we do yes we don't like to talk about that too much we don't want people to find out too much about new jersey you know we don't want to keep that a secret so uh yes we do we do
0: all right so anyone <laughs> listening don't tell anybody about that michael would like yeah. to keep it a secret. Don't tell them. <laughs>
1: Yes, keep it a secret.
0: (laughs) Have you always been interested in diners?
1: Well, I mean, when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, my friends and I, I mean, we went to diners, I mean, just kind of like anybody else here in New Jersey. It wasn't, uh, I didn't think much of it at the time. It's like, you know, and a lot of people, you know, you're, you go out for uh, on a Friday or Saturday night, Um, maybe like one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning uh maybe you're feeling hungry maybe you don't want to go home just yet and we'd say all right let's uh where are we going to go nothing else is open let's go to the diner so now um we went there because we were hungry but i think maybe uh maybe the the real attraction was go to a new jersey diner at two o'clock in the morning (laughs) who are you going to see you're going to see anybody you can think of you're going to see you're going to see uh, politicians and you're going to see police officers and you're going to see college professors and you're going to see young people and you're going to see musicians. Anybody you can think of is going to be at it because there's nowhere else to go. And that's, that's part of the diner's mystique and part of the diner's uh, uh, charm. That uh, No reservations. You walk in, doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, what you look like. You walk in, you get a seat, no reservations. You get a good, get some good food and you get a smile. So that's uh that's the uh, diner's as we say in the business. Uh, a diner is more than just a place to eat and food is only half the meal. So it's the place, it's the atmosphere, it's the it's the vibe, it's the customers. That's that's what that's what really makes a New Jersey diner.
0: Yeah, and I know down here in the south of what we would call diners, if you walk in and the waitress calls you sugar, honey or sweetheart and asks if she can refill right. your coffee sugar, we know we're about to have a great meal, a good experience at the diner. So, what besides the you know different types of people that come in? What else defines a diner in New Jersey?
1: Well, there's a lot of things, and and people will debate this. Uh, some people say a diner needs to be open 24 hours a day. No, not all of them are. Um, some people say you should be able to order breakfast anytime day or night, and I I kind of go along with that. Um, The diner, the diner experience, the diner culture, the diner tradition, I think really started here in New Jersey, um, like it did other places. But New Jersey was very unique because many, many of the, uh, golden age diner builders in the 20th century were based here in New Jersey. This is where the, this is where the business took root. This is the era in the 20th century, uh, when diners were, were built in factories and they were mo- um, uh, modular prefabricated engineered structures and and all that beautiful stainless steel and neon lights that uh, that people around the world uh, admire about a, a New Jersey built diner and there were, there were diners built in other places around the country but most of the diner builders were here in New Jersey so I think people say New Jersey's the diner capital of the world well one reason is it's because we have so many diners, probably more diners than anywhere else. But the other, and I think equally important reason is we were the diner manufacturing capital of the world in the 20th century. Now, mostly most of all the golden age diner builders are gone, and none here in New Jersey. The uh, is still uh, is still doing business in New Rochelle, New York, and they they uh, they're, they go back a long ways, and they're
0: they're uh, they're
1: a golden age builder, and they're. They're building what people would call that's that's a people say that's a, a traditional a real diner. But now, new diners are built on site these days because the, the business has evolved. Things change. Uh, diner owners now own the property, and they didn't always do that back in those days. And they own the diner, and now they want big diners because they want to have big business. And they'll 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 big they'll they'll build these uh, these grand structures, and they still keep. To the tradition of they still have the same um, architectural appointments and style. They'll still have the glass bricks. They'll still have a lot of stainless steel. You'll still have the long counter inside, which is that's the best place to eat when you go to a diner because that's where you meet all the most interesting people. And so the tradition has evolved. It's changed. the The ownership is changing now, and the menus are always in in, in process. But that's how the that's how the um, that's how the business has evolved so uh, we still have diners not we're not really building new diners and factories anymore although some there there are some places where, where they'll they'll have di- diner like structures but the uh, but really the, the 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 golden age of the 20th century when you had uh, people like um, uh, Coleman and and Silk City and and O'Mahony, uh Paramount Mountain View they were all all small manufacturers in New Jersey all diner builders, but now they're all gone. It's just the business, the business has changed. So uh, that's, uh, that's why, uh, that's, that, that defines what a diner is, I think.
0: What is your favorite meal at the diner?
1: Well, you know, I always, I always like to look at the specials of the day. I, I always like to order breakfast, eggs over easy with some, with some home fries and hash browns, uh, wheat toast and a cup of coffee. Can't go wrong with that. What makes a good diner story? the folk music that we were talking about. These are, these are stories. These are, these are, these are diner stories of the people, people that own diners and work in diners. And also, uh, the customers that go to diners. So, um, uh, just like a good reporter, you follow your sources as, as you're, as you're interviewing people. And, uh, I talk to, uh, I talk to a rock musician. I talk to a state trooper. I talk to a cowboy. I talk to truck drivers, uh, <laughs> all people who go to diners and uh and they all had uh, they all had interesting stories to tell about their lives and how it is that they go to diners and who they see when they're at diners and uh, and this I, I i think as i said in the introduction that the, these are the untold stories of new jersey's history and but these are stories that uh, these are stories that really um change lives and families and careers and communities and uh, and diners have been around for a long time so uh, it's really, it's really part, of the, part of the Jersey vibe, part of our culture, part of our mythology, uh, part of our spirit here in New Jersey. And uh, that's what I set out to do. So.
0: Just to be clear, the book's not just about the history of when this diner was built, how long it was open, is it still open? It is a story of people.
1: Right. I incorporate some of that history into the – I weave that into some of these, these various stories all throughout New Jersey – uh, based on the diners that I went to and the people I met. Uh, and keep in mind, I also, there was also the first diner book, which had a lot of history about the diner builders and about the diners and things like that. This book, I actually, I got very lucky. I, I got on a roll and started getting a lot of history about lunch wagons. Now, the lunch wagon was the precursor to the modern diner and also the, the ancestor to today's popular food trucks. So, so uh, lunch wagons were were, the, were all the rage back in the uh, late 1800s and early 1900s, and that's how the diner evolved from lunch wagons. So, uh, so there's history there, but really, it's 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 kind of a it's, it's more mainly it's a story about people, and like I said, people who uh, I'm always interested in how pe- you know how, how you get from one from point A to point B. Well, I I met a I met a diner guy. He owns a diner way down in Shamong, New Jersey, which is down in the Pine Barrens. And, um, he was born and raised in India and came to this country. And, uh, lo and behold, he owns a diner and he's, he's, he's cooking up, he's cooking up traditional diner food, but he's He also makes his delicious Indian food way down in the Pine Barrens. So uh, go figure. That's a, there's a good example of, uh, of getting from point A to point B and, uh, and then what happens along the way. So, uh, yeah, but it's, it's really it's a lot of human interest there. And some, some, are, some, are, some of them are sad stories. Some of them are, are positive stories. Some are stories from long ago. Some of, a lot of it is, is current history, though, people that are, that are going to diners nowadays and what the diners are like today. So uh, I, tried to, I tried to give people a, a, nice, a, nice, uh, a nice grouping of, of, of stories and tried to cover it as extensively as I could, North, Central, and Southern New Jersey. So uh, it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun.
0: Well, yeah, and a lot of good research. Since you had to go into the diners, have a meal while you're talking with people, that's not a bad way to yeah. write a book, Michael. That's not a bad way to it's... write a book. <laughs> I
1: I'm, I'm, I count my blessings. I'm very thankful. I'm very thankful that I've uh, that I, I've become an author with the History Press, and and I feel like uh, I feel like this is important stuff for New Jersey. It's, it's these are all all these 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 books are all little love letters to, to people in New Jersey and hopefully beyond. Because if you're uh, you know if you're a fan of folk music or you're a fan of the bicycle game or you're a fan of diners well i mean i'm writing in new jersey because i live in new jersey and this is this is what i know but these they're these stories i, I think or i hope anyway carry a, a universal message with them so uh i hope uh, you know i hope i hope people i hope people enjoy the book i hope uh, i hope they read it and i hope they like it
0: very good and michael before i let you go you got any any upcoming events you want to plug
1: well, uh, now that we're starting to uh, get the word out that the, um, that the new book is coming out, um, I, I have, um, like I usually do, I'm a member of the Nutley Historical Society, and we have a nice little museum in Nutley, and that's where I have my book launch receptions. So we are going to do a book launch reception for the new book on uh, September the 27th. That's uh, that's, when the, that's the official launch. And, um, and then in October, oh boy, October, I've got, let's see, the Old Bridge Public Library, the Montclair Public Library, the Montville Historical Society, Batstow Village Country Fair, the Clifton Library, uh, Scotch Plains Library. I'm even going up to Sacred Heart University in Connecticut, in Fairfield, Connecticut, because I wrote about a diner that's on campus, and the New Jersey connection is, the, the president of the college, he he decided that uh, as they were expanding the, the the campus, they needed a they needed a brand new uh, uh, dining facility for the students. And so he his New Jersey instincts kicked in, and he said, "Well, we've got to have a diner here." And so uh, and I picked up on that, and
0: uh, and then I'm going
1: up there. We're gonna have a we're gonna have a fun day. I'm gonna talk about the book and talk about diner history, and then we're all gonna go to the uh, to the diner, the beautiful diner that they have. there on campus of Sacred Heart University. So that's going to be a lot of fun.
0: And you have, you write, I believe, a blog too and have your own website. Do you want to get the uh, web address for that site? And I'm assuming your events are listed on the site as well.
1: I, I, I didn't, I don't do a website. I do, I think the Facebook page is a lot easier because that's more interactive and I, there's really not much I have to do to, in terms of maintenance. So I do, I list all my events on my Facebook page and you'll find me just, you know, Michael Gabriel, History of diners in New Jersey, and so you can go there and, and, and get all that information. Uh, I also write an, an occasional diner blog. We have a we have a nice uh, nice web, uh, foodie website here in New Jersey called Jersey Bites, and it's <laughs> <laughs> Jersey Bites. You know, don't don't let the name throw you. It's a, it's a it's a website. They talk about it's everything from farms to uh, what, what's the expression now from from farm to table or from yeah. pork – it, farms, chefs, restaurants, diners, food pantries, um, people that make wine, people that brew beer. It's it's really a it's 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 really a nice website. And the, they when they found out my, about my book a couple of years ago, they uh, they wrote about me and they, they then they asked me would I be interested in writing a diner blog. I said, well, what do I got to do? I said, well, you know, when you go to diners, take some pictures and write about it. I said, well, I, I do that all the time, so <laughs> I guess I can be a blogger. So, yeah, I'm a blogger. I, I'm uh, very proud of that. I never, never, never thought I'd be a blogger, but I guess I am.
0: So. You're a renaissance
1: <laughs> man, no doubt about it. <laughs> well, maybe. All right, I'll, I like that, yeah. yeah. I, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, that's a nice compliment. Thank you.
0: Michael, thanks for joining us, and I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us.
1: My pleasure. It's, it's, been, a, it's been a pleasure, and it's a pleasure to be associated be an author for the History Press. I, whenever I do, my, whenever I do my, my talks at libraries and historical societies, I always very proudly say that uh, I'm representing the History Press, that's my publisher, and I'm very, very thankful that uh, that's the case. So thank you very much.
0: And you represent us well. Thanks, Michael. Remember, you can pick up Stories from New Jersey Diners starting September 23rd, 2019, and also check out Michael's past titles as well. Thank you for joining us for another edition of Author Conversations, presented by Arcadia Publishing and the History Press. Arcadia Publishing, the History Press. We are proud champions of the preservation of local history.